Welcome to another episode of the NPCs Discuss, where we talk about the video game industry, events, history, controversies, and more. On today's episode, in the days of old, and yes, we do mean old, the only way to get your hands on a video game early was to play at one of several kiosks at Walmart, Kmart, or Target, or purchase a video game magazine that had a demo disc attached to it. Now, with both the demo disc gone and the majority of kiosks all but history, the industry has found new ways to adapt to bringing early peaks at games in your home. Open betas and closed alphas are ripe for signing up, enticing hundreds of thousands to sign up and play an early build of a game to help devs figure out what to fix or tune before launch. But what if there was another way that gave players full access in advance? A way where you could purchase the game and play it as it was being developed. Say hello to early access, a way for devs both big and small to open up their game to the masses when it's mostly playable. There have been many successes and failures that have been uh, that have made waves, but it's not all sunshine and roses. So let's talk about what happened then and what's going on now with early access. My name is Travis, and of course, as always, I am joined by Kyle. Hey, Kyle, I need you to unmute yourself on your side, though. What's up? Oh man, it's we haven't used this platform here in, <laughs> here in a long time now, and I thought when I mute you guys there, I could uh, I could actually you know control the the mute for everybody. So I guess. Maybe I don't have that feature. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Kyle, what's going on, man? Oh, not a lot. Not a lot. Not a lot. All right. Well, this is going to be a special episode, of course, though, for the uh, NPCs discussed because we have one of our very first guests on uh, who's actually in the industry itself to provide their feedback here, of course, on early access. And I would like him to go ahead and unmute his microphone on his side as well, too, if he uh, is able to do so. Uh, but our guest is going to be PJ Chavez, the indie developer from Genetic Studio. So a couple things here about PJ is that he, is he has released two titles on Steam and also currently has 17 titles up and available for download on, uh, on the Google Play Store under the banner GX Studios. So PJ, welcome to the NPCs podcast. Hey, how's it going, guys? Hey, thank you so much for hopping on here with us. And I'd like to provide a disclaimer really quick, though, for all of our listeners that PJ and I are both co-workers at the same company. Um, of course, haven't shared what company I work for, but we're going to leave it just at that. So just as a disclaimer that uh, PJ and I do work together and have worked together for several years. Now, of course, why we're hopping into this topic uh, regarding uh, early access is the news that came out about Star Citizen and, of course, all of the complexities and chaos that has been the development of that title that title originally released as a kickstarter i believe back in 2012 or 2014 and has since remained in early access while earning i believe around 500 million dollars so far right kyle i believe so yeah we just hit the uh 10-year mark for the uh anniversary of the uh, beginning of the Kickstarter. So, wow. So, yeah, we're talking a decade of this title remaining in early access with content continuing to come out and $500 million earned on it, at least up to this point in time. Uh, PJ, not only I mean, that, if I'm not mistaken, now. there was just a, another large donation, uh, by, by a group of something like $5 million, uh, just kicked their way something like last week. Wow. wow. That's, that's, pretty extraordinary to think about when it comes to what we consider early access so pj let's let's start off here with you of course you know with sure. kind of that news on star citizen and you're an indie developer yourself being you know just you running your own studio um when you hear metrics like that of course and it being a title in that's still considered early access by the masses i mean what what goes through your mind with something like that uh, Star Citizen is a game I have heard about for years. I don't know what their plans with the VR support are, but that's something I support and am interested in. Uh, I think that team over the years has kind of grown. Um, I, I don't know what their numbers are, how many how many staff they have now, uh, but I, I don't know if if they still qualify as a very small indie dev project. It's a it's borderline AAA if you ask anybody who's really into it. So. Maybe the comparison isn't quite there, but it, it's amazing to see what it's become, and it kind of shows us how um, a transformative uh, project like this can be, and, and how how the support behind it uh, can grow. And um, you know, on a side topic, if you guys are familiar with uh, Stardew Valley and the support that game got before it ever released, um, 
by its one developer. Uh, it's crazy to see how these games can have such a following buildup um, before they're fully released and whether or not fully released is even a necessarily a real thing for a lot of these games in this day and age. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, you you make a good point on that one, especially with a lot of those popular titles that have made the the threshold cross from being early access in development into being a full release. Um, but really, like with Star Citizen, though, especially is that you've got this title having earned half a half a billion dollars in 10 years. And even if their development studio necessarily isn't that big, per se, does it seem like maybe with the amount of money they've drawn in and the amount of content that they've already put out so far kind of puts it into a weird spot when comparing to other early access titles like Stardew Valley, for example? I think the hype around this game, the community behind it, it's built up so much. It's it's really hard to even... I think our term of early access, it used to, uh, it used to showcase games that had you know core features in there. Uh, maybe a full storyline sometimes, but obviously a lot of the polish and updates constantly coming in. And, and you still see those updates, um, especially with Star Citizen, all the time and a whole roadmap. But it's something else. It's an interesting example because it, it's a game that's, it, I think it's far from what most people at least used to think of uh, when they thought of early access titles. And it surely, uh, it's, a, it's a bright star among them compared to the, some of the ones that, kind of fall into that bucket of uh you know abandonware or games that are half-baked well let's let's kind of talk about that too and and kyle i think between you and i with the amount of things we've probably purchased on steam over the years or even some of the the commentary we've made on some of these crazy games that just like are they here just as just download quick like get rich uh get rich quick schemes when it comes to early access stuff um but where do you see things like that in the market right now, though? Uh, PJ, Kyle, kick in on this as well, too. Like with with a lot of that, I guess, for lack of a better term, crapware. There's a lot of it. I've played plenty of it. Uh, I think it's still here. Um. Oh, yeah. And I, I've seen I've actually seen a lot of like crap like shovelware, uh, especially that's like in early access. Uh, turn out to be fairly decent games too, but I mean it, it's far more uncommon. It, it's funny that, though that you mentioned the, you know how how games st- did you know start out in early access as you know being very minimalistic uh, experiences because I, I I think it was just a year ago I actually purchased one that was uh, very much uh, that case uh, Hellish Court that was literally the most bare bones game. Uh, that you could probably put on Steam. I, I think out of the roster that they had shown, they had maybe a third of it released. Um, and just no campaign to speak of. It was just like matches that were very simplistic. And to see where it's coming a year, it, it, it's gone from what should have been like a $5 game to, you know, closer to what I think I paid for it at like 20 bucks. But um you know, it it, it definitely kind of almost fits that category of almost being like a shovelware, trashware, you know, and then uh, starting out just in that early, <clears throat> early stage. Uh, but it's still under under the works right now. Yeah, okay. it's, a, it's an alternative almost to kickstarting or crowdfunding a, a game, sometimes going in there and taking a risk on picking up something in early access that's clearly early on in the development process. And a lot of people really enjoy following the game developer, uh, their roadmap and their updates and seeing what's new every week. And maybe a lot of it depends on the genre. Um, You know, things like visual novels or heavy story-based games maybe aren't such a great experience um, until they're completed, or maybe they're at least more whole, but then you have uh, your survival you know, crafting type of games. And those can be a blast to see new features come in over time and, and really have your community kind of help you develop around. Yeah. And that's actually a really good kind of, kind of a good segue into even like some of those um, games, especially when we're talking about kind of the, the duplicates of things, especially when we're talking about where one game has become a major success and everything kind of like almost starts to follow suit with it. Um, you know, and that's where we get some 
lower end titles for things where people are just like putting them out as fast as they can and they end up being not not necessarily worth it in that vein like you take minecraft for example i think when we talk about crafting games and we talk about those exploration games minecraft is definitely one that comes to mind because it was it wasn't necessarily early access in the same vein as it was just a very prolonged alpha and beta but in another vein it really was and because of the success that that built we saw a lot of other titles that came out that offered survival and crafting and exploration and um especially like mining features as well too and then you started to see offshoots such as like terraria um and i can i it's kind of crafted well no it really is and then you've got like some other weird ones though too like uh what is it seven days to die i think is another one that kind of fills some of that zombie narrative and then i think you as well pj one of the two titles that you have up on steam right now also kind of fits in the same category as a crafting survival game too right it sure does uh yeah i i I developed a game called rogue harvest and uh on the topic of of duplicates or or whatever you can say if you play the game you can tell that in those early years the game came out in october of 2015 you can tell i was uh heavily inspired by Minecraft and Terraria back in, in those days um, and tried to give my game its own unique spins and a little bit of horror and a different perspective. But there's a lot of mechanics that we see ripped um, and commonly used. And and that's a game that was released in early access and it was very bare bones. There was no completed storyline. There was very basic mechanics, very limited content. However, uh, you know, the core mechanics of the game were in place. And then for a while there, I was releasing new patches, new updates, sometimes a few times a week and interacting with people in, in the community tab in steam. And uh, they were throwing out ideas and pointing out bugs and writing up tutorials and all of that into kind of coming back into the game. And uh, for a little while there, it was a really beautiful process. And, you know, there was a handful of people that really fell in love with the project and, and watching it develop. Uh, the long run for that game, and eventually it did leave early access about a year later, but uh, it got a little bit crazy, and it was a lot of learning. But uh, I think it was a good experience, and I, I think at some point a number of people enjoyed it. And there were certainly people that uh, you know complained that the game was not complete, and and there's always more features that they wanted. And in this day and age, it's hard to it's it's one of those projects I could probably keep working on for another 20 years if the support was there. And I don't know when I'd really call the game complete. So even though it's a, it's has left the early access category for like for official terms, you still feel like that it actually has a ways to go before it hits that level of completeness that you you would like to see then. Yeah, it's a weird uh, it's a weird time. Uh, kids growing up these days may not realize it, but uh, when we were little and, and playing Super Nintendo and Sega Genesis and all that, a game shipped on a cartridge and there were no online patches, there were no updates. And when you got the game, that was the whole game from start to finish. And uh, that was about it, you know. And and in this day and age, if you go a few months without updating your game with some kind of new content, even post-release after it's left early access, the community kind of looks down on that in some ways. And, and sometimes it can be hard on developers to keep up with that pressure. I mean, on a big level and a small level. Um, and of course, uh, w- with the capability of patching the game, adding new content and switching things up and learning from that feedback, it's it's hard to ever really say it's complete. And that's a beautiful thing. I think it can be really good. But you do have to determine what that line is and, and what early access means and and what what it takes to ship a game and consider it you know, a full release. And I don't know that that line's uh, very solid. I think it's something blurry that uh, we see a lot of different examples of, you know, some games are a lot more complete on release than others. And do you think a lot of that though, especially with uh, titles like yours, for example, where you're in the process of as a somewhat newer developer trying to figure out the ins and outs of making a game like this though that you're trying to do your work on it but then you have all these other companies that are putting out um basically shovelware just trying to kind of fill those gaps to get people just to buy them really quick um you feel that that's sort of a detriment though anyway like you said of course with this newer generation that they didn't experience what we did and what we had to go through with getting a game that could just be broken and be done um 
you know, you're stuck with it there instead of just getting content patches like every day to fix something. Yeah, it's a tough line. Uh, there, there's some level of abuse of that. There are asset flips. I mean, it's it's fair to say. I, I don't know if there's as common as they used to be. Um, the green light process that Steam used to have, they've since removed it. That was kind of a barrier. And, you know, nowadays, I, I think we were talking about this. Uh, most anybody can release a game on a Steam um, as long as they have the basic assets in place, you know, the thumbnails and the screenshots and information. And if they pay a hundred dollar fee uh, to Steam, and and once you uh, release that game and the game's earned a thousand dollars, you actually get that feedback. So Steam's not trying to uh, make that chunk of money off any devs, but what that hundred dollar fee does is it prevents anybody from flooding the market with a bunch of games. It's just kind of a barrier, and, and there's some debate in the development community of whether or not that fee should be higher or not, and. I almost think, you know, I, I'd almost like to see them raise that fee to like $500 because I know I'm going to put my heart and soul into making a project and, and I know it's going to earn that money back with no problem. But there's also a flip side where uh, people worry that it would be a barrier for smaller developers that might have something really beautiful uh, to share, you know, out, out on the market um, from releasing that game when they have no resources available. And it's a valid point, but you've got to do something to stop the the floods of asset flips and, and poorly made products that come into that market uh, from, you know, they, they bury legitimate hard. Well, you know, it makes those gems even harder to find. Yeah, I don't know what the solution is, um, but it's quite a dilemma. Well, that's an interesting, that's an interesting thing that like I wasn't aware of, especially. And I, I don't know if Kyle was either about there actually being a fee required to actually release games in what was Steam Greenlight, but is now called just Steam Early Access. Um, so you're saying yeah, that I wasn't fee, a, I wasn't aware of that. So and you're saying that fee right now is a hundred dollars for a developer to to start up then? Yeah, and I mean here's the thing. Yeah, it is. It's a hundred dollars per game to release on Steam. That's what it is as of today. That might change. Uh, the thing is, I mean, if you, if you, I, I mean, I, the, both of the games that I released, I've, I spent at least a year and a year and a half, uh, developing almost nightly for hours, sacrificing sleep and maybe sometimes, uh, neglecting to take care of the wife and kids at times, you know, of course not, but, uh, I poured my heart and soul into the development of these games and I have no doubt that they're going to earn that money back and no problem. So anybody that's you know, anybody that's worried that they have to spend a hundred dollars on steam might not have a lot of faith in their game. If they don't think it's going to make that back tenfold or, or much more. And each of my games have made that back easily. Um, and then got that money returned, which is really nice of, uh, of them to do because they're not trying to make money off of the developers. It serves as a, as a barrier, but we don't have green light anymore. Um, like I said, pretty much as long as your game doesn't violate any of their standards and as long as you submit all the files correctly and, and line up your ducks, you can pretty much submit any kind of game you want to Steam and for the most part get it on the market in this day and age, which is awesome. Uh, you don't have to go through that you know, that pre-approval process that you had to back in the day with Greenlight where you have to get so much of the community to kind of vote that they want to see that game. But that also means you may not spend the time to build up that community behind it. And, you know, you do have the potential for a lot of junk and asset flips to make their way out there. I, I feel like that might also, um, there might be a chance for good games to get lost in, in just the slew of bad games because, you know, other developers that do produce, you know, more of the shovelware games, they are able to reach out and, you know, put out, stuff to the community or so on and so forth that maybe you know uh, a developer that you know is putting so much time into a game can't it's absolutely true and the other argument why i think that maybe it could even be higher in some regard is uh any anybody that's investing in in pushing out those asset flips on a bigger uh, level i mean they can pay that hundred dollar fee and and crank out all the stuff they want it's I don't know how they solve this problem. You want to be an open platform that's friendly to devs and makes it, you know, 
theoretically as easy and simple as possible to get your game on the market in front of as many eyes as possible. But you also, to some extent, have to be kind of a, uh, you know, you have to kind of prune your garden and, and try to, you know, there's the opposite end, um, which we've seen with, you know, more on the Sony and Xbox stores in some cases years ago, and they've become a lot more friendly, but where it's a lot more hard to get into that walled garden. I don't know what the balance is. I want all the indie games. We've, uh, you know, there, there's plenty of indie games that came out of nowhere from developers that were never heard of. Um, and and those games turn out to be some of the greatest experiences I've had gaming in years. And I, I, I want to find more of those. And I know they're out there. Uh, but making it possible to find those among everything else and, and not limiting people, it's a tough challenge. So I feel for them. And early access is an interesting way, uh, tying back to that, uh, for some of these games to have a chance to build up and build that community and, and kind of grow um, if it's used correctly. What What is unfortunate is when you see people release a half-baked product there and use kind of that early access uh, stigma to get away with, you know, not really submitting a really good project for people and knowing that people will come either way because they do. So do you think with things like uh, Steam Greenlight, for example, having gone away, do you think that that's made more of the early access environment, at least in the Steam environment, that much worse? Like, do you think that because there's no, like you said, Steam Greenlight allowed people to go in and vote on what titles they'd actually like to see released with different things available to at least view and get like be made aware of before the game even became available. Now that's of course gone and you can just release by paying the hundred dollar fee per game and just go. Do you think that with that change, that's kind of what introduced some of the problems with early access? It's possible. Uh, you've heard the term, anybody that's in the development side, it's certainly heard the term, the indie apocalypse. And, uh, if you look at the number of games released today, if, if um, when I released my last game in, in last August, uh, it ended up releasing that day with at least 15 other titles on Steam that day alone. And, and that was a light day. I think there's days where there uh, probably are 30 to 50 games, brand new games coming out in a single day. And maybe sometimes higher around the holidays or certain you know hot periods. Um, and those numbers weren't quite that bad just, you know, five, 10 years ago, uh, even three, four years ago, uh, we're certainly seeing a lot more games coming out and the level of quality of each of those games is debatable. Uh, there's definitely some amazing games there, but the, the overall number has gone up. It's easier now for anyone than it's ever been to develop a game, to, uh, to release a game, uh, without having to go through that approval process. And I, I think, unfortunately, with that, you're going to get a lot more fluff. Um, and a lot of those games do come out in early access. Um, one thing I avoided with my second release, I, I did not want to do the early access route. I wanted to go straight into a full release. And I wanted to make sure that I had uh, the full game, the full primary content, the full storyline all in place. And, um, but, of course, as I said, the project's never done. And even after releasing that, um, still was pushing out updates very often, especially in the first few months. And and we expect that out of all games, even uh, AAA games that release not in early access. We expect content updates quite often. So what does early access mean in, in 2022? What does it mean now? What does it mean in a year going forward? That's something we're, I mean, I think we're still watching unfold. It's definitely changing. Um, I, I think maybe people are sometimes more hesitant nowadays to go into early access because there is a lot more abandonware there. But it's unfortunate also because, you know, that's a place for uh, developers to really get a lot of feedback and grow these games into something amazing. Um, it's just getting harder to ch shovel through it. Well, since, what is, uh, ahead, since you... Uh, yeah, since you mentioned the 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 AAA games, um, do you think games uh, such as like Cyberpunk or maybe No Man's Sky would have benefited for from a uh, early access period, whether it be short or maybe you know a year long, or you know could could they have even had 
greater success with the early access period, do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I, I Both of those games uh, were extremely hyped games. No Man's Sky, the hype around that game before it released was wild. Uh, and, and the same with Cyberpunk. Uh, and you can't expect these games to drop and be perfect. But I think in both cases, you've got examples of games releasing and, and uh, a massive amount of disappointment almost immediately with cyberpunk and with, uh, well, at least in the console world, I think the PC version of that game fared a little bit better in the early days and the console versions have certainly come along, but both of those games took, you know, it was no man's sky uh, today is an amazing game. Thanks to developers, constant updates. But if those games had some kind of time to cook in the pot but available available publicly, I think they'd be far greater experiences and, and they wouldn't have got the brutality uh, in the media or whatever gaming forums there are uh, that has come at them. I think people would be more accepting of the release dates if they're in early access. But uh, for games that hyped up, I don't know how you transition from that point to the full release, what that level is and, and, uh, you know, it's a different industry with a lot of, uh, a lot of money makers wanting to release that full game. And, and the other part of it is, I don't think, I mean, with PC and steam, it's one thing with the consoles and correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know that we really have as much of an early access, uh, mentality or even placement on the stores, uh, at least for Xbox and PlayStation and certainly not for Nintendo. I think Nintendo is probably the biggest walled garden. So. I don't know if those kind of possibilities for those large games even really exist or if they exist, if they're, I don't know that they really get the kind of placement that, that those big companies want from them. Yeah, that is a good question on that, especially because I look at things like, like the consoles, especially as being an area that early access could really, really take advantage of because you do have so many consoles in the home and it's not to say that these titles should be PC specific ones anyway. Uh, but I believe part of the problem, even outside of it being kind of an untapped market, because you do see some early access things hit, but not in the same quantity as you would see on PC. Uh, like a good example that just released as a full game, I believe this week was grounded by uh, obsidian. And that game was in early access on Xbox and PC since I believe around the time the Series X launched, if not just before that. Uh, but even so, the problem I think that you run into with the barrier, and Kyle, you might be able to answer this one too, is the fact that you usually have to pay an even more exorbitant fee to actually publish a game onto a console it's usually something as far as i've understood there's usually a, a higher barrier to get in on console side than there is on pc side is that about what you've noticed kyle yes and no um i i, I feel like that um you, you do see a little bit higher higher barrier uh well maybe not higher barrier but um more more uh profit that the uh publisher or like the actual company would take from from your game being put out on on the physical console so microsoft um playstation uh nintendo so on and so forth and is that something so you've actually looked an additional fee basically that you're you're paying yeah and is that something you've looked into pj for some of your stuff like i would imagine looking at like the two titles that you do have on uh, Steam right now would actually probably fare pretty well on something, say like the Nintendo Switch, especially with that uh, portability in what the Switch is anyway, and that sort of offer that that system has for itself. Have you tried looking into something like that with any yeah, of your titles? I've definitely looked into it. It would be, uh, it'd be unfortunate to spend that much time developing a full game and not do your research on, on what platforms to release on. Uh, there is a little bit more of a cost to submit. There is um, upfront fees you have to pay. Um, outside of that, the quality, the standards, um, the testing, the stability, the uh, localization, other features like that, the requirements uh, they have are 
significantly stricter. Um, like I said, with Steam, I mean, they don't do a whole lot of those checks as long as you're not, you know, posting some kind of content that clearly uh, violates their standards, uh, their Steam work dev uh, conduct you can find on the internet. And as long as you submit the proper files and all that, it's, it's a relatively simple process. It's There's nothing too crazy about it. With the consoles, you have to have uh, sessions with their team going over all sorts of things you hadn't even thought about in the development of the game. Um, there's marketing speak and, and all sorts of stuff. Now, obviously, the, the flip side there is if you, you know, if you get out there, you're on a, a, a much more dedicated store where you'll probably get a lot more views and a lot more eyes on your product. But from what I gather, they're, they're significantly harder to get onto. Okay. Well, that's, that's good to know at least that that is the case. And I would imagine, especially like with Nintendo, for example, because of what we saw, especially in the uh, late eighties into the nineties was that Nintendo wouldn't release any title for their console without that gold uh, Nintendo certified seal stuck either to the actual game cartridge or to the game case. And that was one of those big things that let you know that it went through all of the scrutiny that Nintendo had to put something through. And I think that's still their mantra even to this day because of that well, exact issue. <laughs> well, I mean, during the entire Wii generation, they had basically canned their um, quality control division. So I anyone guess that's could release that's anything willy nilly. <laughs> that's true. That's how many versions of how many versions of Wii Fit do we need that are not actually Wii Fit or how many bass you know, bass fishing games or hunting games do we need mm -hmm. for the Wii, really? Well, or or Chicken Shoot, you know, that's basically the exact same game reskinned. That's yeah. uh, You're right. That's fair. I, I, I've i honestly tuned out most of the stuff from the Wii as well. So that's that's fair. That's that's true. There was a lot of that. that that's that balancing act, um, you know, of, do you have an open platform and let that kind of stuff out there with the potential for some really amazing potential gems to shine or or do you close it off and you raise your standards so that only the cream of the crop shows up but you have less of it and and maybe you miss out on uh you know something amazing then you're microsoft and you're paying what was it two two and a half billion uh for minecraft yeah because you have the money you just buy the the gems if you can yeah, and that's that's a very excellent point there, especially with yeah, with Minecraft is that if you can't succeed that way, it's like someone else is gonna succeed and, and take it over at another point in time. Yeah, you just um, pay for success. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They've done some great things with it though. I mean, to be fair. But uh it cost them a big chunk of money and, and that came up out of nowhere. Um, you know, Notch Notch created something amazing and I think a lot of people would have wrote it off and and that's a very, I mean, it's a great example of, of what you would consider an early access title for many, many, many years. Uh, and and on the backside of that, too, I we did get the uh, idea Xbox games uh, that kind of evolved from the purchase of the uh, uh, of Minecraft. And now we see a lot of indie develop games getting backed by Microsoft and, you know, getting, you know, a lot of a lot of forward advertising advertising that they wouldn't have necessarily gotten uh before yeah well what about pj i guess you know we've talked a lot about uh the pc side because pcs that very like low uh that low entry barrier uh, or yeah that it's easy enough to at least get through and kind of get started on stuff, especially with the support from say like, you know, unity and unreal to get access to their tool sets to make stuff, um, you know, for free, but you're also a developer for Android devices via the Google play store with a lot of the changes they've made as of late, at least over the last couple of years, they've they've now started to introduce a lot of that like beta access or some of that early access stuff into their environment is that something that's been marketed towards you as a developer to start using and if so have you looked into it and what are your thoughts on that process yeah they've pushed it on me quite a bit and uh i would like to use it in some regard you can uh you can get you can get uh eyes on your 
on your app or your game in the store ahead of any kind of release, you can have an announcement made and, and get some shelf placement um, and show people off early, you know, artwork and, and details and have them click on remind me to get this when it releases. And then you can also then get a placement uh, releasing into early access, which doesn't necessarily count against you in the algorithm in certain ways, um, giving you a chance to let certain people opt in, knowing that they're getting something that's early in development. Uh, I, I think it's a good thing, and it's something I hope to use in in the future. Though we we didn't have any of that at all uh, a few years ago. Uh, I, I think we're better off having it than not having it. And there's been a num number of apps that I've released that would have benefited uh, from spending a few months in that early access phase and getting uh, some feedback from users and 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 knocking out some of the marketing materials and stuff like that ahead of time, building that community behind it. There, there's at least those two aspects that early access gives you, at least as a developer, is you get feedback from your community and you have a chance to take that feedback and then actually improve the product with it. And in addition to that, you're also, uh, you're building up some of your core community right there. These are people uh that go into this knowing that they're not getting a polished 100% complete product, but they're curious enough about what you've shown them that they want to try it out and, and play it with that understanding. And usually those people will follow you all the way through the development and they'll be the first ones to go and tell other people about it and share it. And uh, building that community is incredibly important for uh, an indie dev and, and that's one of the benefits you get out of that. And you, you know, you release with a better product, I think, um, coming from early access than if you were not there. So it's a good thing. So is there an, uh, is there a barrier though, when it comes to it, like with steam, it's a hundred dollars published or a hundred dollars per game published there to get into that early access category. Is there also a fee from, uh, Google to actually do that though, too? Well, I don't know for sure because, uh, with well for Google Google Play at least for Android apps there, you pay it's it's a tiny twenty five dollar lifetime fee and then you're able to publish apps publicly uh, for life. Uh, I have had that for so long. I don't actually know if you're able to purchase. Uh, well, if you're able to publish uh, early access titles without that license and then release them later with it, that would be a cool thing if they allowed people to do so. But it's such a small entry fee, and it, and there's so uh, so few hoops to declare that it's really not nearly as problematic. Um, that would be interesting to find out. Um, I, I imagine you have to have that license just to have access to all of that uh, to their SDKs and their interface and and all that to release as it is, but. Uh, the the mobile side's been incredibly easy to release on as it is um outside of getting their approval and making sure uh you know making sure you're finding some way to build an audience and market it there because that is a saturated market these days yeah and that that was the one thing i wanted to actually bring up was about that saturation and there having been a lack of early access or or alpha and beta type uh offerings within the play store. Has that been one of those challenges for you that you've effectively been forced to release in full, uh, your title that you're releasing, you can't go back and make the change to it. Has that kind of become a problem, especially for any of the competition you've seen with your titles? That's a good question. Uh, <clears throat> one of the titles I released on, on Android a few years ago was an RPG. And I think, even before we had early access there, you'd find a lot of apps that were very, very incomplete. And, and I released this um, this game that had the mechanics of running around and combat and inventories and all that with pretty much no storyline at all. Um, and I would pretty much develop the game and, and push updates every week to it. And it, it eventually did really good. That app, it pulled over 100,000 downloads and had a lot of a community behind it. And people were emailing me and had ideas for it all the time and, and we kind of build it from the ground up, but that's one example. If I, nowadays, if I was to do something like that, it would start out as an early access title for a few months at least. Um, 
and I hope that would give it a better chance out there than than it would not with all the flood of other games. Um, there are okay. a lot of them out there that are just half-baked, and you don't really see them getting any kind of separation. It can be really hard to find good products that aren't if, – if they're not – push to the top of the app stores it's it's really really hard to to find eyes on your on your game in this day and age with so many thousands of new apps that are out there and so many being released every day there's the the level of entry there is significantly smaller i think so w- when is a good time to leave the early access phase i know you see a lot of games that they, they spend so much time in the early access phase that once they do get an actual announcement that they are, they're leaving early access, um, you know, no one cares or, you know, it's flown under the radar for so long. It, it just kind of fa- fades into non-existence. So how do you avoid that? Or when, when, when do you decide that, you know, it's, it's complete and it's time to leave that, that period? Uh, the one benefit, at least from the developer side, that you get of uh, leaving early access, uh, like with Steam, you're, you get a whole new round of uh, shelf space and, and placement and uh, guaranteed views, as they as you might call it, when you release. Uh, so along with the release comes uh, a significant update uh, that would update uh, the game with all of its, you know, uh, final storyline, final mechanics in place. It, it it doesn't need to mean that content's done being produced. I think, in the, like I said, in this day and age, uh, we expect updates for a long time uh, on a successful game after it's released. So it doesn't necessarily mean that the, the game is 100% uh, completely built or developed, but, you know, the core mechanics should be there. The, the storyline is playable that a player should be able to start the game and play it all the way through without any game-breaking bugs. And that doesn't mean there won't be bugs or glitches, but anything that really takes away from the experience. or I mean, if, if, if you have a couple hundred people test playing that game in early access and you keep hearing that there's, uh, you know, some mission that stalls out and prevents people from moving for, forward, uh, hopefully that gets ironed out. That that would be uh, one thing to have completed before the game releases. Unfortunately, and even with the AAA space, uh, that's not the case. A lot of times games get pushed out, um, and they're nowhere near that state of completion. Um, they're playable from beginning to end, but there's a lot of game-breaking things there and a lot of content that could be added to the experience, um, to the core experience that's not complete. Um, yeah, ironing out the bugs and the crashes is a big one. And I, I think those are more accepted in early access. If if people pay a full price for a game and, and see it's out there on the shelf and it's not early access and, and they get an hour in and, and they have to restart because uh, they got stuck somewhere and the game crashed or um, you know, you've got some side quests that won't load and, and, and they can't make any further progress. That's a, that's a pretty serious issue. And we have early access so that those issues don't creep their way into fully released games. I hope, I don't know. It's not a, it, that's not, that's not accurate in real life, uh, but that's what we would hope for. Yeah. I just look at games like uh PUBG, where, you know, it was released onto Xbox as a Xbox early access. And it spent so long on Xbox as an early access that they actually added bots into the game. Uh, to try and yeah, fill out rooms really because so many of the the players had gone away. An online game like that, uh, that's a different, that's a whole different experience. Um, early access can be really valuable there for building up a player base. I, I I don't know how any new battle royale game or any online heavily focused game could really release just drop out of nowhere without a pre-existing, I mean, unless there's hype there, you know, the new Call of Duty is always going to have a number of people lined up on day one. But if, if PUBG hadn't gone through the, the years of development and, and building that community and, and they just dropped onto a market, it'd be significantly um, hard to maintain that. I don't know how you get by without bots, you know. Rocket League, when that game came out, uh, the online community thrived within months and, and we saw this 
small, almost indie style game. I can't remember the full name it had or, or the predecessor predecessor of the game had um, to, I imagine millions of players. Um, and I don't know how that game is doing now. I think it's bigger than ever with seasons and all that. Um, but there's a lot of value for those kind of games to, to build that, that framework for those players there. So really beneficial overall the early access. I mean, there and in so many other ways, I think it's a net benefit thing and I'm glad we have it. Well, one thing I'm curious about here with, with you, PJ, um, is out of the games that you yourself have, have gotten into that, uh, you, like not necessarily as the creator, but as the actual like player in that too, like where are some of the shining gems you've seen come out of early access that you kind of hope to maybe model some of your future development off of things that maybe were the, the diamond in the rough there in early access, but you like, you would hope many of your players would be with your games. Um, you know, it's for anything you develop past, present, future that just really stick out to you as, as, like the successes of early access? There are a handful of them. Um, I think it's a game called Starbound. I don't know if you guys have ever played that. Uh, That's a game that was in very early development, completely changed many times. Um, I I think going back to Stardew Valley as well, that's a game that was... uh, In some regard, and uh, it was a early access game in, in a sense because there were so many years of development and updates and community building around it. I don't recall if that game was actually in early access with a full release. I, it might have been, uh, but it feels like one. It feels like one that took years of updates and community crafting um, and building to come to be. Um, well, especially since after the release, it was supported for so many full large updates for so long yeah and i know it has a multiplayer component now that was not there for a long time and uh there's countless numbers of them um and i don't know that we're done seeing those either i think there's a lot of games that are going to break out of nowhere um uh, you know, games like uh, Undertale um, and uh, just games that nobody saw coming from a mile away that no big company had funded that some small developer um, was able to kind of push out. And then just because they were unique and different and, and offered something new and, and powerful to players, word of mouth naturally uh, helped them grow out and, and by the time they release, and by the time most people are hearing about them, they become kind of overnight sensations. But they're not really overnight sensations. That you know, there's months and years of uh, polish and, and improvements that go into that from for those titles. Well, what about you though, Kyle? Like on your on with the amount of with. Uh, the amount of games you've also played as well too. What are some of the, the diamonds in the rough that became the shining examples of what early access can actually produce? Like give us a couple of your titles that you've seen. Well, one, one that comes to mind right away. Cause I, I believe um, it was in early access when we both bought it was uh Necrosmith. Yes, that is a good yeah, one. And that one's actually seen a full release uh, since then. Um, and actually multiple updates, but, and it, it's already had updates of, of things that I, I recall saying, you know, I wish the game had this, you know, I wish the game had this. And, you know, within, you know, weeks, you know, all, all of those things were addressed and it, it seems like they've even gone, you know, far beyond that. Uh, but I, I don't know. I, I play, I feel like quite a few early access games. It, it seems like um, some of the early access games, I feel like you get, a lot of fresh new ideas um, and a lot of the community interaction helps provide uh, to some of those new ideas uh, as far as like an approach to a style of game or, you know, a game like uh, game ideas in general, you know, directions that you never would have thought could have, uh, a game could have gone. Um, but 
once again, like, you know, Hellish Court's another one. Um, it started very bare bones. It was, it's, um, I'm trying to think of the PlayStation game that it, it's very similar of, uh, to because it, it, there's literally no health bar. It's a fighting game that involves weapons. And if you can die from a poke, but the, the mm. whole premise, it, you know, being so simple, it, it started out super bare bones. And, you know, since then they've added story and each of the characters has their own mode or whatever now. So it's kind of cool. And it's still in early access, but um, I, I see maybe some, some greater success at coming out of that one maybe even a console launch i know that there's been you know talk in the community from that but i don't know i i feel like there's a lot of uh room for early access games on pc um to to grow into into console games whereas you know you see a lot of games that are that are just released they they release and they fizzle and die sometimes and Sometimes if it is in early access, it gets it out there to a larger audience for longer before it has a full chance to release and, and make that, you know, big statement. Okay. Yeah. And I, I agree definitely on those that do unfortunately fizzle out because they have that good premise. They have that good background going for them and they're really starting to work towards something. And then, something else changes in the environment and they end up falling off the radar, just whether a fault of their own or a fault of just unfortunate consequences. Uh, I guess I got three of them off the top of my head that I can list from early access that have really been, I think pivotal more than anything. Um, not necessarily really like diamond in the rough ones, but maybe I guess it's, it really does kind of become subjective when it comes to a lot of that. Uh, the first one would be, Kerbal Space Program. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because KSP was early access and then went 1.0. And since then, I know it's been in development limbo anyway for a little while, but Kerbal Space Program 2 is currently in the midst of being developed and is being worked in a way to go to not only like not only be a PC release, but also work towards being a console release too. Uh, The other two I have, and one of them kind of fits into the category of the um crafting area ends up having to be um core keeper and core keeper oh, kyle yeah. you and i have put many hours into um falls into the same narrative of of minecraft and terraria and such is that you are you're in a you're in an underground area of some type they don't really give you many details there at the start and your objective is to go fight all these different bosses but the only way you're going to get there is by actually digging and collecting new ore fighting enemies fighting mini bosses and then finally the big bosses in the different areas building up your armor uh to even more powerful armor to more powerful weapons to farming to making food potions uh items basically anything to your heart's content there that fits but that one at first felt to me, okay, it's going to be just another grindy game. But there was something about it, though, that just kept drawing us in. And we just kept playing it and kept playing it. And I'm surprised we actually even have stopped since then. I think that last that last boss that we're on right now is just kind of <clears throat> eat us up a little too much. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, the third one. And this is, this is where I'm going to transition here to the last bit for PJ before we uh, wrap up this episode here is the uh, title Prison Architect. Yeah. And yeah. I only became aware of this title. I got this when it was in early access. It's but I became, a, I became aware of this title because of a YouTuber I happened to follow, Nerd Cubed, who found this game in early access and played it. And just uh, his commentary just always just kills me whenever I watch his stuff. Um all of his titles are great and he's got a great following anyway as well. But just him playing this game alone is what made me go buy it the next day after I saw his first video. And with you, PJ, um, I wouldn't like, you know, for being a YouTuber that nerd cubed is, and you are as well, you have your own channel on YouTube, not famous, um, which for our audience, you can find over at YouTube under the, uh, youtube.com slash C slash not famous real. Um, yeah, and go check there. But 
one of the big things is that without actually having followed him uh, or even watched any of his videos, I wouldn't have known about that game existing. So with you, PJ, how did you like with your channel, have you done any sort of game promotion of your own, like any sort of uh, or gone and find other indie titles of sorts that have piqued your interest and, and tried to maybe feature them for your audience there as well? Yeah, uh, I, I've tried the social medias. I've tried, uh, I did some attempts at TikTok to game market. I learned quickly. I don't know a whole lot about that, but I think that's a, a big one right now for um, sharing out new products. Uh, I released a lot of uh, dev videos, you know, just along the way of my last game, um, just showing off new features, showing off gameplay, showing off what I was working on and just kind of those dev logs. And there's an audience for that. There's also an audience just for actual trailers, gameplay trailers and all that. Um, it's still a process I'm figuring out. Uh, the primary niche of my channel is not oriented at the game development itself. So a lot of that was released on a side channel that I have. It's um, kind of more dedicated to that. And, uh, you know, we haven't blown up, but I've also found a couple people that, you know, kept coming back and they were, excited to see the updates and, and they would have never heard about the game either if they hadn't found it out there. So getting out there in, in the future is, uh, on social media is a great and important way uh, to do it. The other thing is just finding other people that like games like that and uh, making sure that, you know, you're sharing content with them and, um, and their audience so that they can, you know, find out what you're working on. Uh, I've met a lot of people, a lot of other indie game developers and, and discover their projects just from being in those communities and those discords and various chats. Uh, and there's a whole thriving community behind it. But, uh, if you want to release a product in this day and age, you got to figure out how TikTok works. I'll tell you that. Oh yeah. I'm still yeah, working on that. But. That, that's a big one for sure, especially. But what about, uh, have you found other YouTubers who are actually like, e even if it's just by word of mouth that you happen to find out about it, but do you have any that have played any of your games and potentially streamed some of them or done reviews of those? Yeah. So the first game, Rogue Harvest, um, I think if you were to go look it up, there's actually nearly a thousand videos that have been made on it, um, which is awesome. I've watched every one of them because... If I found one of those, I uh, I obsessively had to watch every detail of them to figure out, you know, what are they like? What do they not like? Um, and there's a significant number of uh, videos from my other game that just came out last year, Surviving Tonight. Um, there's some that are five or ten minutes and people don't care for them and, and they point out something wrong. And and that's okay. You learn a lot from those videos. And then there's, there's other videos. Uh, there's ones that are 30, 40 minutes, an hour long where people just get kind of lost into the game and those are really awesome to see uh, you as a developer you gain a ton of insight from them and you have a chance to go into the comments when people say hey this looks cool what is this and you can kind of introduce yourself and build up those connections with them uh, so those have always been a driving source of discovery and and, and driving cells and, and more people to your community and and it's it's really awesome uh, when you develop a game. It's it's really awesome to go out there and, and find a video that somebody made playing it um, out of nowhere and just seeing what they're working on. And there's been a there's been a good handful for both those games out there. Well, that's awesome. That's that's one of those things that I think for for any developer out there to hear that you know it's like that someone out there has played your game and has, has at least provided you some of that commentary and some of that detail about what you can work towards that maybe just a, a quick review has not been able to provide you on like, say the apps uh, page or uh, wherever else a review might be at that, that video provides a little bit something more personal then. Yeah. You have to stomach the hate. Yeah. And that's a, get that. That, that's that is a, a very conversation, but Oh, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> um, so, where we'll wrap up here uh, before we close out the episode is your thoughts on what could potentially be good changes for the early access programs as a whole, regardless if they're on PC, on console, on mobile, uh, physical copies, digital copies. Um, what would you like to see as changes uh, to those programs that, 
either incentivize or entice new ideas or new, um, you know, new content to come in that doesn't necessarily maybe fall into like that shovelware category? Like what, what do you think the changes could be to early access to actually provide us, um, provide us as gamers better titles and such going forward? Mm. Well, <clears throat> we kind of touched on that when you asked about whether or not uh, there's any barrier to get into the Google Play early access, which I think there is. Um, and even with Steam, I think you're still going to have to pay that $100 before you can even create the asset and potentially release an early access. Uh, perhaps they open up the floodgates there and let anybody into the early access program. Uh, you will get a ton of the asset flips. You'll get all the junk along with all the gems that get buried in it. Um, but maybe create more of a, a line of separation between what is early access and what is a fully released and matured product. Sometimes with Steam, it's not very obvious when you see early access titles blended into the cells, you know, uh, and all these other categories. And maybe there should be a big, bright marker somewhere that indicates something is early access. Um, but it's a much more open area, more Wild West where people knowingly go there, but they can find anything they want. There's a fine balance there between keeping an open platform and letting things out there uh, be reachable and not having it flood your other end of the market. That's, you know, a fully released game and making that line between early access and fully released product, even more solid, even more thick, even more distinguished would probably be pretty valuable. So that people know what that separation is and know what they're getting into outside of that. Keep it open as you can. I think keeping it open is, is huge. Uh, that's not the place to be making it harder for people to release things or to get into or to find any kind of community if there are people out there that want to find it. So, uh, yeah, make it, make it more distinguished. That That's the big one. Very cool. Very cool. Kyle, any, uh, any last thoughts from you on any of this either? Um, I think my big one, um, especially since we just are hearing about the closure of uh, Google's uh, cloud gaming service. Um, yeah. Um, do, do you think early access has um, potential in the cloud gaming space or is there a greater potential for uh, early access in the cloud gaming space? It depends on uh, there, there's an inherent cost to cloud gaming that makes that an interesting question. If you're willing to to provide that uh, that service, if you've got a platform like Stadia that can that can support it, uh, I mean it's a great thing. But uh, just like the online thing, it's you have to have the players there to really justify those servers and and uh keeping them running and keeping them online and i, I don't know it's uh that's gonna be an interesting market for people to figure out uh there's no doubt that that is the future with stadia closing i think i think google has this tendency to be ahead of its time whether it's with the google glasses or with the their component of cloud gaming as it is but i, I think there's no doubt that we're moving more and more towards that you see what microsoft has done with their cloud gaming services and uh that's not going away. It's not going anywhere. And uh, neither is the massive flood of people that want to make games in this day and age and want to make their dream game and maybe release it out into the market. So one way or the other, it's uh, there's a number of problems that we're going to have to figure out and solve, but it's not going to happen overnight. There's going to be a lot of troubleshooting along the way and a lot of ups and downs. It'll be fun to watch. It might be painful at times. Um but it'll be it'll be a fun road to be on. Cool. Very good stuff. And yes. I think with that, that's where we can wrap up this episode talking about early access. I want to, of course, extend a thank you to PJ Chavez of Genetic Studio for joining us here in this episode. Thank you so much, PJ. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and of course, we want to say thank you as well to all of our listeners out there with this wrap-up, of course, of this week's episode on Early Access. 
Of course, if you want to be able to check out this podcast on your favorite podcast platform of choice, be sure to go check that out on our homepage, anchor.fm slash the-npcs-podcast. You can find all the links to the podcast platforms we are supported on. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you name it, we are most likely on it. Go visit our homepage and go and grab a link there to your favorite podcast platform so you can subscribe to our episodes and have them available as soon as they publish. Of course, be sure to follow us on social media as well, too, over on Facebook and Twitter at The NBC's Podcast. And of course, follow us over on our YouTube page where we do a live weekly news roundup every uh, either Friday or Saturday, 8 p.m. Mountain Time. Of course, if you do subscribe and set that notification bell, as soon as we go ahead and post that we're going to be going live, you'll get a notice on it right away. Again, thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. We will catch you all in the next episode. Laters. See ya.